Hey, I'm Craig Finn. This is my podcast. It's called That's How I Remember It. Each episode, I have a creative guest on the show. I talk to them about how their memory affects their work and the stories they tell others as well as the stories they tell themselves. This episode, I'm excited to welcome an incredible guest, Duff McKagan. Duff is an amazing story. He grew up in the Seattle punk scene, played in a bunch of cool bands there before moving to Los Angeles and joining Guns N' Roses. He was there for GNR's meteoric rise to become one of the biggest rock and roll bands of all time, and he's still there. Guns N' Roses did a bunch of dates in 2023, and Duff also makes his own records. He put out a very cool record called Lighthouse last year. Features him and an all-star cast of players. He's played in Iggy Pop's band. He was in Velvet Revolver. I could go on and on, and I'd still miss some of his accomplishments. I'll say this, his memoir, It's So Easy and Other Lies, does a great job of capturing it all. Duff got sober sometime in the 90s. Seems like he focused his energy in doing a lot of things and doing them well. Mountain biking, martial arts, wealth management. So much, so much, it's really, really impressive. We had a great talk here. It only scratches the surface, but I very much enjoyed it. Duff McKagan, thanks for joining us on That's How I Remember It. Um, I'm going to get going. I want to start, though, with a prologue from your book, It's So Easy and Other Lies. From And uh, the prologue's from a quote from The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. Oh, what agony was that? What despair when the tomb of memory was rent open and the ghosts of his own life came forth to scourge him. And I start all these with the same question and is this, do you consider yourself to have a good memory? Uh, no, I, I don't, you know, some things played into my memory, uh, some inputs, shall we say, <laughs> yeah. uh, ravaged my memory a little bit and put some things here and uh, put some things over the left-hand upper corner that maybe belong down in the middle, the lower, you know what I mean? And then there's just things I don't remember. But when I started writing, I was writing for the Seattle Weekly, well, weekly column. And then I started writing a ESPN uh, column, uh, which was kind of crazy to do. Um, and I was writing for a play. I was writing a lot. And I had all these extra things I was writing. You know, once you start writing, it begets more creativity just like songwriting just like you know and once you're in it you just start going and i had these stories that were not right for the seattle weekly a little too personal to you know um or you know espn it's not gonna work my my editor tim moore from playboy i'd send him some of this stuff and he's like a professor and he would say um he would say you know uh paragraph three on document two what did that feel like and look like and smell like? You know, these types of things. Like, I don't know. I, I, I tell him, because don't tell me, write it. And um, once I started doing some of that stuff and my girls were, were young, like sitting side, a lot of times sitting on each side of me on the couch playing with their toys or you know, dolls. And I'm writing about going off the edge, you know, with cocaine somewhere, you know, but it would stop me, you know, I would look at my girls and uh, my memory, I, I, you know, I, here's what I did. I got, I got to be honest with you. I, I wrote documents. I, I wrote 4,000 words and it was a complete lie, like just a complete lie. And again, if you're sitting next to your little daughters, like that's not how the story, that's the story you told that you makes you look a little bit better in that situation. 
I think that's just human nature. You know, I think it, you know, it's just what we do, you know, and if I'm going to really write something, I got to tell the, tell the truth. You know, I saw the clash in 79. They told me the fucking truth. You know, what are you doing right now in 2009? You know, you're lying to a word document with your daughters. You want to, you know, stop. So I would erase all that stuff and kind of, and once you start telling the truth and digging into, you know, okay, what was my part in this? It's like that, that thing. What was my, that's all that book is. It's the arc of the story of a guy who just wanted to fucking be in a kick-ass band, you know, like that's it. And it, you know, I didn't want chicks. I didn't want to be a drug addict. I didn't want to, you know, uh, become an alcoholic. That wasn't part of my journey. But so how did this all happen to me? And, and just a guy, and how did he come out of that? And, and in that I had to like, really like, uh, get, get, you know, honest and, and my, and so my memory to your point, you know, once I started telling the truth, it really started kind of like congealing my truth. In the book, you talk like about, you mentioned sense of smell and a lot, a lot of people I've been talking to mentioned that, you, you know, you talk about like triggering memories, this newsprint in your sister's paper route, the smell of Lake Washington, this is kind of in your early sobriety, but does that, does that smell still, is that still something that conjures memory for you? Is that, is that a connector to memory? For sure. You know, once I discovered that s- smells were a thing again, I've, I've really treasured it. You know, it's sm- I just really like lovely things, like the smell of my wife's perfume. She's wore this. When I smell it, it, it makes me feel all kinds of great things, comfort. And I'm still like, you know, I, I, I really love my wife. It's been a long time, 27 years. And I, 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 it takes my breath away, the smell of her perfume you know that's amazing that's very sweet how i mean that's what i was gonna if you have lost some memory due to like you know excess uh, in the sort of second act are you know when when things are stable and good and you, your father as you mentioned do you do you ever say like i need to remember this like do you try to like lock in memories or do you just, are you just living i mean i'm just living i'm uh my memory fucking sucks but there there is reasons because i travel so much and I meet so many people, you know, from people to hotel or I, I do a bunch of nerdy history stuff all over the world. I go to, you know, you name it. I, I try to go museums. Uh, I went to Owensboro, Kentucky the other day for no reason other than it's on the Ohio River. Let's check it out. Um, whatever. I went to Hot Springs, Arkansas and went to the uh, American Gangster Museum. Cool. Cool. You never get a chance. But anyhow, I, I my memory is I remember like things like that. I'll remember that going to that museum, going to the Prado Museum with my wife, you know, many times going to Jerusalem. But other things like people's not to sound I, I sound like an asshole, but like people's names. I'm like, oh, Jesus, I didn't commit that to memory. And I, I'm seeing him again. And I don't remember his name. God damn it. What a dick. It's a dick move, you know, but it, I'm just not good at remembering names. I can remember songs forever. Um, how about early memory of music? I know in your book, you talk about Sgt. Pepper. Is that your earliest memory of, of kind of connecting with music? Is that the Beatles? It was the Beatles, but it was also, we, you know, we're Seattle family. And my, I had older brothers and sisters. We had the Sonics record mm-hmm. and it, it had the witch on it. Cool. And if you're five years old, 
that song, I mean, it's about real witch, you know? I mean, that's, and oh my God, I would play that song over and over and over again. And a bunch of years later, when I was, I I became, you know, I'm sort of friendly with Iggy Pop, who's Mm -hmm. my, I don't want, I'm not trying to name drop. You're, but you're I in this band, ask, though. <laughs> I, I ask him the, the you know dumbest questions. Hey, Iggy, what influenced you? You know, like that kind of stuff. And he would, he said, "Oh, the Sonics. We love the Sonics." I'm like, "Oh shit!" I listened to them when I was five. You know, but the imagery, little kid imagery. So Sergeant Pepper's. Look at look at that cover. And if you're five and six years old, it's like whoa. And my older brother was in a rock band, so I'm like, "This is what my brother Bruce does." Maybe he's on this record, you know. Probably he's on this record. Sure. Uh, but lovely, lovely Rita Meter Maid. I would listen to that song, you know. Yeah. There was a little girl. There was a girl in kindergarten, like I had a crush on, and I just pretended that was, you know, Rita. I guess. Um, you, you mentioned in the book also not that long after hearing the Stooges, and I'm wondering how how did the Stooges come to you? Because obviously that's not music that's everyone's hearing at that time. Is that your brother? Uh, you know, so around my house, it was more um, James Gang, uh, uh, Sly and the Family Stone. Great, great, great colorful music for a, a kid, like to, rhythmic music, uh, Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, Stones, Beatles. Um, but it was, uh, I'm the last of eight kids and, and you want something of your own. And when, when this other kid in our neighborhood walked down the street with a pink mohawk and i'd seen like these punk rock posters up on the telephone poles the lewd you know like okay the mentors what's this this is 1977 you know i saw led zeppelin that year and it was at the kingdom epic you know uh snuck weed in and all that stuff a little young to be smoking weed but you know my story but seeing these, these these posters, I'm like, I want that's something that could be my own, you know. And this, I met this kid. He's older than me, and he's like, "Hey, I hear you you play, you you play guitar, you play bass." I'm like, "I well, I play uh, whatever, you know." And uh, my first band, The Veins, was was formed, and uh, and that's Kurt Block, uh, who's a my hero, you know, it's been my hero since I was 13 years old and him and Kim Warnick, Kim Warnick and Kurt just turned me on to everything. I was the young, new, young kid who was like, okay, the sweet, you know, I'm like, wow. Yeah. I mean, I remember Fox on the run that was on the radio, but action, you know, come on, fuck. And pistols clash, damned vibrators, I could go on the ruts, you know, yeah. uh, Ramones, of course, and and the Stooges and MC5. And they were giving me history lessons why this is, they're playing me stuff. And Stooges just like, I guess probably harkened me back to the Sonics. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this is, and I had a dream when I was a, that age, you know, maybe a little younger, like 12 mm-hmm. or 11, and that I was in a, this, I'd seen a band or something in a church basement. I must have. So I was in the band in the church basement and I was the singer and I was rolling around in glass and it was like the most epic fucking experience ever. And I woke up from the dream. I'm like, I want that. Well, when I heard the Stooges a couple of years later, I'm like, that's what that is. Not yeah. that it was, I was anointed or anything, but I just, I just put these things together. And, and you could do it. I mean, it seems like how long, I mean, when the veins start playing, you were young, young, right? 
Yeah, our first gig was in 1979. So, you know, 14. Yeah, and yeah. I, I actually just had Bob Mould on the show, and he was right. I read his book. He was talking about uh, playing with the farts with the Husker Du yeah. early, you know, and coming yeah. on, the, on on their tour. And, you know, so you're, you're involved in all this. But I, w- I want to back up because something about history you said and about um, the, the Kentucky visit and the Hot Springs visit. I've been asking people on this show, like, if there's any, like, era of history that they totally connect with. And I, I know like in your book, you talk about um, civil war, at least going through a civil war phase. Is that, is yeah. that phase still alive? Or are you, are there other, are there other eras that you're like, that have you a hold on you? Oh man. I mean, I just went through a whole crusades <laughs> rabbit hole. Oh my God. And then I went to, we were in Drew, uh, 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 Israel and uh, I went to Accra. I went to Jerusalem too, but I went to Accra and that's where the Templar, you know, uh, tunnels are. And the, and the, I don't know, I, I, I do this nerdy stuff and, and I have this friend. He's now my, my, I call him, he's my personal historian, Dan Jones. He's a TV presenter in, in England okay. and he has a show called great British castles. He writes about medieval times, uh, power and thrones. He wrote a book called the crusades. So he comes, he's a, fan of the band i met him during covid that we were watching a show called great british castles my wife and i he mentioned a book in in the in one of his shows about this woman she was a lady in a castle 1890 and she was she was can i say this it's a podcast you can say that or whatever she was fucking a bunch of guys and uh you know and she wrote a book a tell-all and my wife's like oh my it was the first tell-all kind of ever written and uh, Dan Jones mentioned it in the TV show. My wife said, God, I'd love to read that story. So I wrote the show during on email during the, uh, the, the lockdown. Hey, you mentioned, you mentioned this book in the episode. Blah, blah, blah. And he wrote me back. He's like, dude, I'm a fucking huge fan of your band. And uh, I'll send you the book. And, and we just become great friends. And he comes, he lives in England. And he'll come down to like Seville, Spain. And we did a you know, kind of a Christians and Moors tour on a day off. And he came to, he took us through Accra to go through Accra where the Crusades historian is pretty awesome. Um, So, oh man, I go through uh, just fascinating uh, things. South Pole exploration, you know, I have uh, Providence tattooed on me right here. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's from Endurance from Shackleton. Um, and this is when I just was getting sober and I read Endurance and I read all these polar that got me into like all the South Pole stuff. Then I went into North Pole stuff. Oh, boy. Uh, I, my next thing is sort of maybe Roman. And then I want to slant toward pre-Roman history. Uh, World War World War Two, World War One, uh, Hundred Years War. Fascinating. Can you put in any words? Why do you think this like stuff? gets you like or 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 do you think you're just your brain's wired towards it or or is there something if you can't explain it you can't explain it but but obviously you have a lot of passion for it well i don't know man like my my youngest daughter lives in the lower east side and uh, i was visiting her last year and i went to the tenement museum which is about three blocks from her house i'm fascinated by the whole tenement thing and that got me into this book called city of dreams and it's a 400 year history of immigration to the lower east side 
my my partner Angie is a former director at the Lower East Side Tenement Museum. So uh, is that read, right? Yeah, yeah. She she went back to school and became a nurse, but she was there, and uh, I, I've done all the tours, and it's it's like fascinating stuff. I recommend it to. I live in Brooklyn. I recommend it to anyone who comes and visits me. It it really does a good job of explaining how people got to New York. Yeah, uh, you know what I just did. I we we played in New York like eight weeks ago and i had a day off again we did the circle line the the boat yeah have you done that yes that's also very cool so cool and the architectural one in chicago is good the architect you just get on it's like nine bucks you get on one of those boats something about getting out in the middle of the water makes you see a city differently in a way that it it's hard to over overstate right it really is yeah 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 something i want to do the manhattan one forever and we finally did it so great you know, Longfeather from the new record, which I, the record's great. Uh, I love that song, Longfeather. Is that is that um, a Blackfoot chief, Longfeather? Is that because I was looking on the internet and it suggests there's a photograph of a guy, Longfeather, and it said he's a Blackfoot chief, but it seems like maybe it's hard to say. It's hard to say, but um, I will say this back to when I got sober again and I went into, if you've read my book, you know the, mm-hmm. the story. I, I uh, I'll skip over the thing, but I got into a dojo with a, my sensei, who's still my teacher today, mm-hmm. uh, my my mentor, and, and um, he uh, is Blackfoot, Native American, and he would say this thing after I started. I got like six months in. He, he would say, you know, clean up your fucking life. He wouldn't say fucking to me. He would say, clean up your life. He would say these things like, make your bed. Uh, Keep your clothes clean, your body clean. Did you tell? Do you have things that are hanging out there? Do you I have a lot of things that are hanging out? I'm thinking to myself, all I would say to him is yes, sensei or no sensei. But in my head, he knows what he's hitting. I started making calls. Uh, did I, hey man, ah, uh, a couple of years ago, did I do something that was awkward or whatever? You know, these things are calling my mom, say, I love you, mom. Thank you meeting people and doing this and uh he would then he started saying to me today's a good day to die we get done with all of this you know meditation serious uh conditioning physical conditioning all of this stuff and then he'd look at me and today is a good day to die yes sensei like okay are we going to war or something what are we doing you know uh it's kind of dark with all the other light stuff we're doing and there was one day one morning i woke he would say get up in the morning and smile at yourself in the mirror I couldn't do that. Get up and smile at yourself in the mirror. I'm like, you know, I burned down cities, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> smile at myself in the mirror. But one day when I woke up and I didn't have one thing left on my chest, on my shoulders, my, my house was clean. Uh, I was by myself watching Civil War stuff and, and I was just doing martial arts and learning. And I could I could afford to do this at the, this point to get sober. I, I didn't know I had to throw out my black book of all my friends because it was all it was just me and the this dojo and my mountain bike. Uh, and uh, today's a good day to die. What he, I looked at myself in the mirror and I could smile. And it's like it's not how you die; it's how you live your life. And sorry, I made that really long story, but. Um, when I got on this, this chord structure of Longfeather, and I and the, the I'll, I'll get a melody, and the words oftentimes come with that melody, and it was oh Longfeather is home, 
you know, and, uh, uh, and, and what does that mean? And I, and I gone to, you know, I, with me, of course, I'll go into some history stuff if I can, but that song is sure. Custer's last stand, something like that, you know, poison pills, manifest destiny, uh, et cetera. But in that song, the, the, the kind of couched double meaning is live your life to its fullest, make amends with your people, Pe tell your people you're with that you love them, that you appreciate them. And so if it is today, have your affairs in order, not that you want to die, but just take care of your shit and, and smile in the mirror at yourself, you know, once in a while. And, um, and long feathers home, you know, that's, that's it. Hey, I'm Craig Finn. Here on That's How I Remember It, we often talk about music. So I wanted to mention DistroKid and their new app for iPhone and Android. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. Over a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. With this app, you can sign up and pay for a new DistroKid account, or sign into an existing one. You can upload new releases. You can get notified when you've earned royalties, edit your account details, check your streaming stats, add lyrics and song credits, edit release metadata, and so much more. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. That's, uh, you know, I noticed in the song, you, you, you Longfeather's home, but Longfeather's also gone. So you kind of have yeah. this idea of that that he's, he's, he's home, but he's at rest. And... I know, yeah. Yeah, when, um, yeah, I think I think that's really cool. And I reading the book, I knew where that line came from, but it made really good sense in in, in um, terms of the song. You know, the other song, um, God on Tenth Street, and I, I like that because it it I, there's a lot of Tenth Street, but it feels like a New York song. You know, it feels yeah. like it, it's Lou Reed and it's Johnny Thunders and all that. Um, and you know, you say I saw God on Tenth Street. He says we're rotten to the core. And as I thought about the song, I realized like your story of. Um, finding sobriety and redemption, et cetera, focused a lot on self-reliance and maybe less explicitly talked about was accepting a higher power. And there's this nihilistic God in, your, in this song. Um, I don't know. That might've been just a lighthearted song, but is, is that sort of your version? Um, do, I, what, what do you think of that? Do you, I mean, did you find more power in yourself in that process than, than a lot of people or did did you? Um, you know, for me to use the word God, it's 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 not even a weird word. It's not like, oh my God, I don't say God, and you know, uh, or I do say God, and it's all about God and Jesus Christ, your Savior. None of that is in my life, but I do possibly believe in a maker or the or a reason, and I believe in um, taking care of my wife and my daughters. And that brings and in, in, I believe in fucking punk rock. Mm. You know, I believe in. I swear, I come keeps coming back to that Clash show in 1979. And um, so, <laughs> I again, I came across this chord structure and I sang this melody and I saw God on 10th Street. I just seen my friend Matt, uh, who lives on 10th Street, and he was, you know, he's he just bought a house on 10th Street. Him and his chick and. Uh, and he's like, well, this is where, the, you know, uh, Sex in the City, this is the, the famous street. Your daughter should move to 10th Street, you know. Yeah. We were looking for a place for her. And um, 
and uh, uh, I don't know, I was walking down the street, and you know, I, I could imagine like this guy, the white haired guy, and like a I don't know, sandals and a toga, ripped up, the homeless guy or not, you know, but it could be God, as we we all can universally call this somebody, just judging the fuck out of us, like this is not what I. Uh, I was hoping how it would go down. And, you know, you, you have bedraggled me, humanity. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm fucking pissed, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. The, you know, the, the, there's this thing, like in your book, you talk about pa- anxiety and, and panic attacks. And then I, you know, as I, as I read more, it seems like you find a power through like learning about things and then applying yourself towards some mountain biking, martial arts, college finance. Is that a matter of gaining control over the world? Is that, is it, would you recommend that to other people? Is that, is that part of it? Is it saying like, I'm not going to let these things be mysterious to me? Well, yes, that, but I don't know if I apply that to getting control of panic attacks and, and whatnot. I have a curious mind. Once I get into something, I want to be, I, I want to know all about it. So uh, I'll read a ton of stuff. I'll go to school. I'll go, I'll do, you know, I'll go to martial arts. I'll go two a days until I'm fighting in a ring, you know, guys that are getting ready for world championships, you know, get my ass kicked. I'm not saying I'm, but I, I want to get all the way there, you know? Because that's a that's a fear to face and it's a power to have, and and it's a it's a gentle fighting in the ring. I got to tell you, it's like the the best way to deal with life because you see it all there. You see somebody get in the ring, they're they're gnarly or they're scared mm-hmm. or something else is going on. You don't know, and you can you can control all that. You can you can work with it. It's just like life. It's the square jungle, you know, as we call it. Um, because you get outside of the ring, you deal with all that stuff anyhow. Uh, it's just a very in-your-face way to deal with it. But um, I, I panic attacks and, you know, it's an ongoing thing. I, I've sought and help, you know, and uh, I, I just found, I wrote a song called, this is the song, uh, I wrote it in yeah. a panic attack. And uh, and it got me out of a panic. I, I was having a panic attack. I went downstairs. I don't like to tell my wife because she just gets she gets worried, you know, so I'll have one and I'll go, right, I'm going to go downstairs and get some water and I'll go, like, <laughs> go through my thing, pulling off my clothes, you know, like yeah. pouring water on myself. And, and this time I sat down with my acoustic guitar and I wrote a song out attack. And I found now uh, that that's a great way to, to help me. But I suppose I just have a curious mind. I think after I got sober, I just yeah. I, like, I can actually do all this stuff. I can go to school. I can, do more. I can become a kickboxer. Fuck, you know. Let's go. I'm gonna mountain bike. I'm gonna let's go. Well, there, uh, there must have been a sense of getting a lot of time back with your day. I mean, if you're not waking up hungover or anything, you're wow. <laughs> yeah, when you wake up at seven seven, you know, like I don't even know how I slept or what my sleep patterns were. I would stay up for like three days. Mm-hmm. I don't know when I would go to sleep. You know, uh, so yeah, getting my days back, getting time. That was. You're absolutely correct. What, so one of the things about the book that I thought was really interesting, I, I, I very much as a kid identified with punk rock and, um, and versus metal. 
you know, like, like, and you, you know, you say like, uh, you know, Hes- you use the term Heshers, which I used a lot when I was young, mostly suburban or rural. And, and, you know, um, you're participating with the fastbacks, the farts, the veins, whatever. But then you also got to be part of the, one of the biggest rock bands of all time, you know, and even though with these punk roots, the Venn diagram on that is like, if you drew that Venn diagram, it's like maybe you and Dave Grohl, like it intersects, like, like with that real serious old school punk experience yeah. mixed with stadium rock right and um i wonder there's, there's also a zelig quality to the whole thing because like you know you, you also are from seattle so you know the grunge people from way back etc it how, how does how does that like does that make you feel like 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 you like a, a series of coincidences or or is it like well yeah this is what i brought to it i brought the i brought the um the punk thing and i made it i made this yes there was so much 1984 you know to me like punk was dead there came in new things like cow punk and you know texan horseheads and that kind of thing chili peppers young chili peppers and the first that first wave of punk to me you know the hardcore thing came in and just fucking killed it you know like the punk rock gangs and all this bullshit um mm-hmm. really you know kind of destroyed you know you see white white power and all you know, like okay punk's dead punk's done we are done you know and uh i moved to la with that sort of knowledge i was listening more to like motorhead prince uh a magazine uh killing joke uh rolling stones it's only rock and roll hanoi rocks um as well as like I can never not go anyplace without Vibrators Pure Mania or The Dam's first record or you know, etc. Um so I think yeah, and Izzy, when I met Izzy, it's funny, he and I started talking and I'd come down and played a gig with the Fastbacks, and we played with this band called Naughty Women. And it was at the Cathay de Grand, 1982, let's say. And Izzy and I were talking, and we were just, you know, meeting and talking about what we did. And Izzy's like, I was the drummer in Naughty Women at that at that point. So he was in, you know, he was he was connected in the punk rock thing, but he was more those guys were from Indiana, so they Ramones were like the Devo first record, you know. Uh still to this day, Axel and I will, you know, reference some Devo song, like right before a show, you know, it's like, all right. Let's go. Um, if you hear the beginning of "It's So Easy," not not to uh, that that's that's from me sitting down and playing a guitar and going. Let's go, Yeah. I mean, GNR at that time, I was in high school, and 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 like I said, I was I was a punk and hardcore enthusiast, and it it acted, I thought, as a little bit of a musical Rorschach test, like it could be what you want to be. Right. Um, and I had this funny story that I was thinking about when we were preparing that I had tickets to go see Guns N' Roses open for Iron Maiden, and I had really good seats, and it was happening in St. Paul, where I lived, and uh, in the Twin Cities, and they got on the radio the day before, and it said we have good news and bad news. The good news, the, the bad news is Guns N' Roses is canceled. Um, the good news is Megadeth has 
replace them. And I said, well, I don't think that's good news. I think the whole thing's bad. And I sold my tickets, which I really regret now because I would have liked to seen Iron Maiden live, but I was not metal, you know? And I want, like, it feels like Guns N' Roses brought something that like, like a lot of people were like, you know, this is real. This is real in a way that a lot of bands of that era did not seem real. And even though it was being played on MTV, there was a honesty that, you know, it, it is very unique at the time. That that Maiden tour for us was, you know, we were just taking tours. We, we got to get out. You know, we, as you know, we weren't, you were in the minority to know about our band. Mm -hmm. You know, it would have been you and I, like a three of your good buddies, right? And that was it. And that would have been our four people in St. Paul if we played there. It would have been you and your three buddies. And coming across Canada and stuff with, with uh, Maiden and coming down the West Coast, their fan dumb because it was, we were a little too, uh, you know, uh, we were called punk rock faggots and all that. You know, we were not liked. And, but we did the tour and it really kind of like solidified us as like, well, somebody can not like you this much. We've heard about like Alice Cooper and the Stooges and all that. So we're probably an okay company. Yeah, I mean, it, but it, yeah, it's, it, but it also worked on a big level. I mean, you know, within a year or two, it worked absolutely everywhere. Yeah, but about a year and a half into it, we suddenly, it suddenly hit. And we, you know, that record, they're about to pull us off the, the road and all of that stuff. Uh, because it just, it had kind of sat there. Mm -hmm. Um and we were just touring, man. We, I mean, like, I thought we had sold more records than the Circle Jerks. You know, I was mm -hmm. like, I made it. <laughs> then, then group group sex, which is a big to us, it was a big punk rock record. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's about as big as you get. So I'm like, wow, we we sold more than that. You know, yeah. Like I'm good. And then the thing took off and really took off, and yeah. This year, now you're in, you know, you're playing stadiums, you're playing Fenway Park, etc. And, and you know, there's a number of songs in the Guns N' Roses catalog that are basically in the American songbook at this point. And, you know, when you're up there, given the roots of the thing, uh, do you ever reflect when you're on stage and say, like, this is absolutely nuts? You know, there's families at those shows, I'm sure. Is there ever times? It's mostly... <laughs> Yeah. Most of my time on the stage is reflecting. You see little kids with their parents who are probably tw 25 who are with their parents. And it's like, you know, what happens is that your audience grows. Like mm -hmm. we're, and we can play the Fenways and the Wrigley's and stuff. And I, and it trips me out. Like, and I, I'm also, you see how it affects people. You can see their faces looking at you. And some people are really like taken with a particular song. So you're like somebody, their friend die. Or was that their, their friend's song? You can tell. You can absolutely tell. And there's a lot of gratitude. Like to come out, you know, we play long shows. We tour for a long time. My body fucking hurts, yeah. you know. There's times when, you know, I've just gone too hard that day in the gym, and now I'm going to play for three and a half hours on my feet with a bass on my left shoulder. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I, when I get that gratefulness and I see the people, like the pain goes away, my feet become unnumb, you know, and I'm back in it. And I, and I always do. 
I, this is like the fourth time I mentioned it in this interview. I, I always reference that <laughs> that class show when I'm when I need an extra something. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a, I, I got to that part of the book and I was excited because that's, that's like, I never saw the clash, but that's like, like my favorite band. So I was a one, I have one speaking of the clash and the show at the paramount, but I, I have one final question. I've kind of been asking everyone, um, this, at, uh, on this season of the podcast. And I'm curious how your travels, how all you, know, you've been everywhere. You played everywhere. You've done through all this stuff. How, has that affected your relationship with your hometown and your hometown, Seattle, how, and Seattle has obviously changed a lot over the last 40 years. Um, first of all, how, how would you like, what, what are the most obvious changes do you see? Is there, is there like a, uh, something that you can put into words about how it's changed? You know, that's, I mean, it's, I mean, you know, I don't, I think every city has changed like during the COVID COVID time mm -hmm. and, and i see that you see it yeah going to every major city in america you know uh so we have that we have you know the kind of fentanyl camps and the, mm -hmm. you know and um but seattle we were a podunk town man in the late 70s into the 80s like even all the guys that came out in the later 80s soundgarden and mm -hmm. tad and you know pearl jam guys it was a podunk town. People thought we lived in teepees, you know? I remember, like, bands like Who's Gurdu and whatever would come through, and Black Flag and DOA had come through since the 78 yeah. and 79. Yeah. My first gig was opening for Ron Ray's version of Black Flag. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, um, but, you know, I know those, like, bands would come through, like, whoa. And people did wear flannel, fucking, you know. <laughs> sure. And uh, so it there was a sense of humor that was very specifically uh, Seattle. Kurt Block still carries that sense of humor. Um, and so if you want some real, like, litmus to true shit, Seattle, Kurt Block. Just just refer to Kurt Block. And, I, and defer to Kurt Block. He's always. cool. I've done some shows yeah. with him. He's cool. Yeah. Um, but so then, you know, it became a big rock town, right? Mm -hmm. And... Uh, uh, that's when I, I moved back in 93. Mm -hmm. I finally could get a house back home, right? 93. It was like yeah. my big. And it was a big rock town. I'm like looking around going, oh, okay. And my buddy, Mike McCready, who I grew up with, he's like in this huge band. He's got a place on the lake. And like he's, he's fucked up. You know, I'm like, what? Mike, come on. Uh, but I was fucked up too, so it's okay. Sure. Uh, but yeah. But it still had that sense of innocence, and but people discovered those movies like Sleepers in Seattle. All the movies that got filmed there suddenly everybody wanted to come to Seattle. The Starbucks mm -hmm. and and Microsoft and you know it was happening then. I think like th that late what was that late nineties when kind of rock had sort of died and he had. I don't know what you had. I mean, it was kind of like, there was a couple of cool bands in Seattle, but, you know, thankfully, like Nashville Pussy and stuff, you know, and the helicopters. And they're not from Seattle, but there was some, like, for me, like rock bands. Um, but I think Seattle lost its identity music-wise there for a bit, you know. You had, like, Creed doing the fake, you know, 
Eddie Vedder, whatever. Sorry. No, I get it. That's what they, that's what they did, you know? Yeah, and so yeah. it's like, shit, I think Eddie Vedder is probably like, God damn it. You know, there's a bunch of a bunch of people that are copying his his vocal stylings, you know. Um, people copying Nirvana and and etc. Soundgarden, Alice in Chains with a I don't I won't mention the band that completely ripped them off. So you know you start to become a little parody ish. And what I'm really happy about all those bands I just mentioned: Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, really regained their identity after that kind of hit to the gut, you know, and they're bigger. Allison Chains is out with us right now. Yeah. And they're like bigger than, I mean, come on, man. You cannot not love an Allison Chains show. It's just so fucking heavy. And um, so I think I go back, you know, I live in Seattle. Uh, it's where my studio is. So for me, I have a new identity with Seattle. It's where my studio is, where I do, do all this fucking, it's just a beautiful old studio that we found that nobody knew was there. And I get I get to have my local friends come in and play on my, my songs. And it's kind of like the old days. And Kurt Block's around. And, but you know, it's that city's grown up. A lot of high rises, a lot of cranes. Sure. All that stuff. I think it's so cool that Duff maintains that connection to Seattle. He's also kind of got a Zelig thing happening. He's connected with so many rock musicians from all the way back. It's an honor to have Duff McKagan on the show. I really appreciate him taking the time. I very much admire his lust for life. Check out the memoir he wrote. You won't be sorry. I am on the road doing solo dates in the U.S. and then solo dates in the U.K. and Ireland. You can learn about it all. Craigfin.net. There's also Hold Steady stuff coming up, the UK, Australia, the Holdsteady.net. Come hang out with me. I'd love to see you. And stay tuned right here for a bunch of amazing guests coming up. I really appreciate you listening. It means a ton to me. I'm Craig Finn, and that's how I remember it. <laughs>